This is where our worlds collide. All I have for you is a word. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Tell it. You're not shooting your bullet. Use it carefully. You're touching it. There are people in the future who need us. Who need Tanner. Back to whose filmography is it anyway, folks? The show where we talk about filmographies, the where the points don't matter, and neither does time, space, uh, relevant expectations, or anything you thought you knew about plots at all. Physics at all? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, for you folks, uh, for the fans at home, Stephen and I have covered uh, Christopher Nolan, and and today <laughs> we are going to tackle Tenant. Uh, we're going to tackle Tenant in the whichever way we can. Uh, and we don't know. We're gonna. We don't know if we're gonna move forward in time. We don't know how it's gonna happen. Time, or... What is happening with time? So we're just gonna jump right into it. Uh, as always, I'm your co-host Josh Page, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend Steve Molina. Life is good, but it could be better. Oh, sorry, oh. wrong Warner Brothers flop. Wrong, wrong Jeez. one. <laughs> oh God, Steve. Oh, it burns. Wrong Warner Brothers flop. Sorry, we're oh. talking about Tenet, not Wonder Woman. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, holy uh, smokes. <laughs> that's kind of my feeling after leaving this Tenet movie. Um, so, first time back with Christopher Nolan in quite some time. We finally yes. got back to it. Yeah. We promised we would. Uh, so, let's just say off the bat into- no let's just start off the bat by saying this will not be a normal episode in correct the way that we normally break things down we're not going to do a whole production or uh breakdown of the plot because my head would literally melt like the guy from raiders of the lost ark if i tried to even attempt well um, for those <laughs> who have seen break the, down the, the plot of tenant the cronenberg film scanners when the head explodes the, and there's just the face the remnants of the of the face and there's just blood and explosion like that was if i tried we, to break this movie down my face would literally look like the poster for possessor if this were inverted time i we would have gone to the future and seen your face do a, a melt explosion kind of thing and that's why we're not doing it because we already know time is inverted and nothing yeah. matters so we're just gonna have a general discussion about the movie tenant so why don't we start with christopher nolan who i think was the director of 2020 not necessarily because of what the movie he produced and directed but because of all the craziness that was surrounding him if you were to tell me that christopher nolan was responsible especially after this movie that he was responsible for some kind of inverted catastrophe that led to 2020 um i wouldn't be at all really surprised I'm like oh we're all living in nolan movie this makes sense <laughs> yeah i feel like nolan last year listen after we got through nolan uh the nolan filmography last year my mind was just exhausted and my feelings toward him had definitely been more muddled than they had been in the past. I used to be a big Nolan fan, but the more we dove into him, the more I was just like, okay, this guy needs to like kind of get over himself a little bit. And after the remaining uh, incidents of the year, I was just like, this guy really needs to just like take a fucking chill pill. I really (laughs) couldn't with this guy last year. Um, yeah, I mean, for those, uh, uh, you know, for those who've been, you know, out of the spotlight in terms of what's happening, uh, uh, St- Stephen's still, you know, pretty burned about this, the WB, the whole WB thing with uh, HBO Max. And I mean, I don't know, just to gloss over for people who haven't listened. Well, we could, let's talk about just because what Warner Brothers did, their announcement that the 2020 movies are going uh, to, uh, 2021 movies are going to be released on HBO Max. Right. That is really important in the story of Nolan right now. Right. And in a way, I feel like 
he will never admit it or maybe won't even be able to see it because he's too narcissistic, but it's kind of his fault. Uh, not that I'm pointing or blaming thing. You know, I'm not pointing at him or trying What's to blame anyone. What's his fault? The WBHBO move? Yeah, but I think Warner Brothers' decision is wholeheartedly his fault. I uh, mean... Because I think, let's I mean, talk simple numbers here. The budget for this movie was $200 million. The box office returns were $362.6 million. That means that this movie did not recoup its money back. And it did, yeah, it did okay, but it didn't, obviously because of the pandemic, it <laughs> didn't do what it could have done. No, the reason I know for a fact it could not have made its money back is, you know, like I said, it's $200 million for the actual just budget, mm-hmm. which means on a typical movie, on a typical movie, they spend about half that budget extra mm-hmm. just to promote their movie. Right. Now the promotion for this movie had to be elongated by three or four months because originally it was supposed to come out in June and ultimately came out in September. Mm-hmm. So that's an extra probably like 20 to $50 million worth of marketing that had to take place. Mm-hmm. So there's no, so whole, they probably spent like 300 and like, million Warner Brothers probably spent like $350 million to actually they may have even spent like $400 million on this movie alone right and they didn't make their money back you're saying even in regards to the marketing and and not just the marketing the remarketing the fact that they had to like oh well now it's going to be released this time and then there were more trailers and previews and they and it just kept getting pushed so it's kind of like the longer the movie was delayed the more money they were spending on just promoting a thing that was not coming out. It was just a black hole of money. And Nolan just kept perpetuating it because he was emphatic that it must come out in theaters and it must come out in 2020. This man has a God complex where he's like, I am going to save cinema. And you didn't. (laughs) You didn't. Um, So I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, just to keep a uh, circle for people who have or may not have listened, is I think that this all kind of comes back to our conversation, which I believe you and I have said on and off. We've said it off air multiple times, but it's that if this all boils down to, in my, in my mind, this boils down to the pandemic and that if Nolan had just waited... If he had just, you know, because that's what whatever what movies started doing, doing, they pulled James Bond, they pulled Dune, well, like they pulled Dune later, but yeah. they're pulling all these big movies. So if he had just kind Black, of played uh, the entire Marvel slate of twenty, right? Black Black Widow, um, Wonder wasn't Wonder Woman supposed to come out earlier, like in the it summer? It was or? supposed to come out early last year, but it got pushed back. So uh, my my point is, is that all these big budget movies, the ones that go for the two hundred million budget that. Tenet, because Tenet falls under the same budget as like a Marvel movie or a big, a big blockbuster, an enormous. It's bigger than movie. a Marvel movie. Typically, Marvel movie, uh, other than Endgame and Infinity War and the Avengers core movies, because mm-hmm. obviously those are like. But know, that's what I'm talking about. Like this is like treated with that same kind of budget. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that. Yeah, it's on like par with that budget wise. Not even like mm-hmm. a typical Marvel movie. Like exactly. Ant Man's budget is typically like I don't know. 75 million dollars you don't need a bigger right so this is like on the scale of end game right and so to, and so just to complete my thought is yes this is a giant budget movie and giant budget movies in early 2020 they were doing it as soon as the pandemic hit they were like we're pulling our movies we're we're pushing them later and it was just very bizarre to see someone like nolan like you said like a god god complex isn't incorrect because he's still going no, my movie's still going to come out. It's going to come out in June. It's going to come out in July. And it just kept getting pushed back a little bit. And it's kind of like, I mean, you're talking about the integrity of a, of a person. And I know this is big, greedy, money-grubby um, movie people we're talking about. And you stick Nolan in the middle of this crowd. You're like, okay, well, where does he put his integrity? And this whole thing about the pandemic is just, it's not safe to go back to movie theaters come June, July of 2020. Yeah, and, and so he, he kept just... <laughs> thinking that people wanted to go to the movies in the middle of a pandemic and it's like no <laughs> you know? and that was the first problem that, that was the his problem and i the way i've been describing it is that in a way nolan is kind of like a greek tragic 
figure. He's like a Greek tragic hero. You know, he, through his own hubris, brought down the very system he was trying to preserve. He thought because it was his movie, I made Tenet, this new brand, this brand new IMAX cinematic piece of gold will reinvigorate the entire movie industry and people will go back to theaters. And by holding Warner Brothers by the balls, he did it and it flopped and Warner Brothers had to reevaluate. And then this man has the gall to release a public statement. So hold on, just to catch people up. So this is Tenet comes July, but it gets a wide release in September. Yeah, it the comes Warner out Brothers. In September. Warner the Brothers, Brothers move held hostage, and Warner Brothers the- made the decision about releasing their 2021 slot on HBO Max instead of well, the, the the deal was HBO Max on the same day as theaters. Was that what it was? Same or? day as theaters. Um, for a month, the movies will drop on HBO Max for a month, and okay, then so they will th- leave. And the only way you will be able to see them after that will be in theaters. Correct. And that news broke when? That was that was probably November, November. December. Sometime. All right. So now to catch people up to where you were about to say. So, the, so they, they announced this news and then it was the next day, right? That Nolan- Yeah. And the next day, Nolan has the galls, the balls, and the gall. The, the balls and the gall. To <laughs> go in front of the microphone and say that he... I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of uh, filmmakers went to bed thinking they were working for the best film studio, but woke up to find that they were working for the worst streaming service. Uh, I think you just nailed it. It was... Some of the, just uh, I have to quote here, some of the industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out that they were working for the worst streaming service. So he put them on blast. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to get into the HBO decision because it's very controversial. What they did can be contested, okay? You know, like, they didn't warn a lot of the directors or the people involved. Okay, that was a bad move. I'm not saying that it's wholeheartedly a good decision. I am simply saying you don't bite the hand that feeds you. And Nolan, for months, for months, Warner Brothers placated to Nolan. They gave him everything he wanted and it didn't work out the way that either one of them wanted. So what did HBO do? What did Warner Brothers do? They had to change their tactic. They had to, because 2021 is still uncertain in regards to movies. Well, this is, yeah, and this is much bigger, but the reality is, is like what you're saying makes sense. It's, but it's also, this is much bigger than just Nolan. This is about them going, what do we do moving forward in regards to every big blockbuster that comes out? Exactly. So my argument and my frustration with Nolan is just like, they gave you everything you wanted, literally everything you wanted. And you have the gall to attack them like this in public, in a public statement, because of a movie that you produced not doing what it wanted. I think he's just deflecting so no one points the finger at him. Right. Well, the thing is, and you and I have definitely talked about this, but it's I don't know if we talked about it on air, so it's a good time to say, but it's that... I think that what happened is, is he, like many people, when that news broke, is he spoke out immediately out of anger. And it was kind of this very, like, a a shocking and surprising decision. And like you just said, like, it's not worth debating that the Warner Brothers decision, especially not on our show, because that's not what we're talking about today. But it is a huge stepping stone, because it's kind of like, it will change like not just 2021, but it'll change the future of streaming and movies and how moviegoers see brand new blockbusters. And so for him to be smack in the middle of it is kind of that, you know, we started our show talking about him. Here we are today. And like a lot has changed in less than a year's time, you know? Yeah. I, you know, we can go deeper into him, but I also just don't, feel like it you know so i, I feel like is, we've said everything we kind of need to say about Nolan. yeah and we're uh, yeah yeah 
And the reality, what, so I think what this is, and this is maybe an extreme example, but for me, this almost feels like Lieutenant because there's so many things to say. And Stephen and I are going to try and do our best to keep a shorter show. As you said, we're not going to dive into do a deep dive. But what this is kind of a, this kind of reminds me of is like, um, not necessarily allegations, but it's kind of like when bad news breaks about someone or when news makes someone feel uh, poorly towards a director or filmmaker, you know, whatever, despite it may be. Yeah. It's kind of like, how does it affect the way that you view their work? And that's kind of like, it's ironic that Tenet is the movie it is because even if there was no pandemic and the, this news in HBO Max never happened, there would still be a lot to, to put on the fence with this movie because because <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a mind-numbing experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, this movie is a lot um <laughs> so I, I don't know if you want to dive into kind of like backstory i mean with the, the backstory like in warner brothers that we just spoke about but if you want to i don't know if you have any like notes i don't on really have any notes i think we should just jump into the movie itself and i'll start by like if we're like following somewhat normal pattern in regards mm-hmm. to our podcast i will say that this movie felt like nolan had taken what he learned from inception and Dunkirk and kind of blended the two Uh because this movie felt like Dunkirk where it's not going to give you any backstory at all. We are just jumping right into it and going for it. It, It's uh, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. It's funny that I was almost confused. Not well confused is a word people will probably use a lot for this movie, but I was almost like not confused by the plot, but I was confused by the pacing of the story 20 minutes in because it felt like you're entering the third act of a movie right from the get go. Yeah, this movie jumps, I mean, we can do our best to give a plot breakdown, but I don't even think we can. It starts off with the protagonist, David uh, Washington, uh, because his name is protagonist, the guy doesn't even have a name. He is in the middle of an international espionage heist of some kind. Yeah, yeah, there's There's really no backstory at all we don't understand what he's trying to do we only know that he failed and he might have died (laughs) yeah there was a i mean the thing is is like they they put you right into the action which nolan has now turned it he's now made it a trope for himself to open his movie with a giant spectacular action sequence and it's really not different here i mean the opera was i mean visually it was very pleasing to see but it was also just you know the cia it's like a swat team like a cia raid of this opera and it was like it was very i mean the the stunts and the production quality and i'll get into more of this throughout because i feel very strongly about this were very strong but the reality is this pushes you into the story without like you said without any backstory without any warning Here's without any where my difference is when with this movie in regard and in terms of other nolan movies like you said a lot of his movies start with big set piece action movies but I feel like in his other movies, the action set pieces set up, they build on character in those set pieces. I'm thinking just off the top of my head, the Joker, okay, in The Dark Knight. Yeah, absolutely. That opening sequence of the bank heist tells you everything about Joker's character. But in this movie, I felt like I learned nothing about who any of the characters were through the action set pieces. That's a really good point. We are kept Uh, at such a distance from every character in this movie. I felt nothing toward anyone the entire time. Not only that, but what was happening was so confusing. And the characters, I didn't give a shit about at all. To the point where I'm like, why do I care at all about what's happening in general? Well, it comes back to the classic criticism of... of films in terms of like i don't remember where i've heard it because I've, I've studied a lot of screenwriting the last couple of years and how people say like if you don't like your characters or if you don't flesh out your characters your audience won't care about them nor will they be able to flesh out with them as well like i'd be i mean i'm paraphrasing but it's like the whole crux is that like if at the core of your story you need good characters yeah and it's and these characters were fine to me but like you said like you, they were kept at such a distance that's a great way of putting it because the only character who really felt like they had an, any sort of emotional arc was the woman um cat was the yeah, wife uh, of elizabeth uh, Dubaki or whatever yeah her last and name is. and even her like they like if the movie and we've said <laughs> not just we but many people have said that nolan 
it doesn't seem to work well with women. He doesn't know how to really write them is what I mean. He doesn't really, it, same with, with, with be it, you know, Marion Cotillard or whoever it is. I mean, it's, the women have always taken the backseat. So for the only character to really <laughs> well, have a real at Now, arc, sorry, I just want I just want no, to of make course. a terrible joke and say, well, now we can say, um, you know, Ellen Page's character, I'm sorry, Elliot Page's character is now a man. So he's more fleshed out empirically. Wow. That's good. I would never have even thought of that because that's a great. <laughs> Next time Nolan and Paige work together, there'll be a much better role for him. <laughs> that was a, I mean, up until that, that news with Ellen Page announcing of the transgenders as the Elliot um, Page. Ellen Page, for, former, formerly Ellen Page was actually one of the, probably the better female Nolan yeah. characters. So it's very ironic. So no, it's a good well-placed joke. But my whole point is, is, is that the, in, for me, the most, the character with the most development or the most motive, I should say, is the one that is in the film. You know, she's the one that takes the backseat to the two dudes. I agree with you, but I will also argue her entire character is so... It's one note. Gener- it's so generic. It's I'm here for my child. I want, my, the want most, my son. I want freedom I want my, for my, me yeah. and my son. Yeah. Which is the most <laughs> generic uh, plot device you can give a woman. <laughs> of you know, course. That's her only It's motive. the laziest woman plot device ever. I'm here to save my child. So that speaks volumes for me about what Nolan does with characters in this movie because even, um, you know, uh, jd washington it's like i don't know his i literally the whole movie i didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing because in the beginning he wants to um he wants so um the woman's got the rich husband who is uh what's his name kenneth Kenneth brana who i have to say probably the best part of the movie simply because he looked like he was having the time of his life doing this movie he killed it he's a great actor i he really i i never once thought despite his motives being as muddled as they were i never once wasn't buying into what he was i doing. think he was a sloppy character don't get me wrong but he looked like you know as an actor kenneth brana just yeah. looked like he was having the time of his life doing thick russian accent being a horrible person he was doing it well gold it, <laughs> it's like gold bars gold bars here's your money <laughs> like so I, I all that but all that to say is it's like um, with even like Washington as the as the literal protagonist, um, I didn't know his motive because at first he's defending the woman, he's going to destroy the the painting or the picture, but then I'm like, okay, is he in love with her? Like, okay, this isn't a romance thing; it's about doing what's right. Um, which, by the way, the plane crashing i know that nolan's known for his, his stunt work is yeah, was he actually did that. actually was incredible, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier: is that the production quality kept winning me over where like i didn't care really what was happening because i was so engulfed Let, in the action let's and the, talk and the about the action in a minute because we'll end with things that i thought were good in, in two seconds i just want to focus on the character of um what well, a protagonist of oh Washington. and that's my whole point is i don't know what his not only did i not know what his entire purpose was the entire time i didn't know what his motives were i don't understand how what, what confused me more than anything was why other characters continuously trusted him to do the jobs that he kept doing. Well, now, he goes to that uh, giant penthouse in Mumbai or, uh, yeah, Mumbai, and he, like, manages to get to their penthouse, and the woman mobster... Is just like, yeah, I'll work with you. Like, I have well, no idea who you are, but I'll work well, with you. Kenneth well, Brown's character is beating another man with gold. And it's like, I love that. Beating yourself with gold balls. And he's and like, blood yeah, you know what? You seem like the right guy to do this job. It's like, don't you want to like see a resume or something? So, <laughs> so I will say I agree with you to a degree, but I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler free. This can't be a spoiler free. Uh, free this conversation. is not we, a spoiler free conversation we should have so mentioned getting, that in the beginning but we're, i would say we're bad at doing the spoiler disclaimers whatever anyone who knows our show by now should know we dive into it so i'm just gonna go ahead and just get right to the ending to to counteract your point i'm not disagreeing with you but mm-hmm. the whole ending that we're supposed to believe that he's the one that founded tenant mm-hmm. 
So is that supposed to mean that we're we're that mean we're supposed to believe that other characters, especially the team, because you don't know, especially with Robert Pattinson's reveal at the end, is like I've been working with you for years or whatever. It's kind of like, are we supposed to believe that the tenant team is all knowing in terms of knowing that the protagonist is the one calling the shots? Like it they, seems to be a need to know basis because the woman, the Indian woman did not know who he was. And at the end, he was like, yeah, I'm the protagonist, motherfucker. I found a tenant. And then he shoots her, you know? Right, because I guess she was going to assassinate. Yeah, so like there is definitely, there are definitely logic gaps in it terms of like, like who knows who he is. was the only one who knew who he was. And I will say our Pats was like pretty good in the movie, but I feel mm-hmm. like he was the Nolan avatar in the movie, literally wearing the exact same clothing Nolan is seen wearing in set photos. So, <laughs> And giving exposition the way a director would be giving exposition. This whole movie is riddled with exposition. And it's the craziest thing. And I want to focus, I want to just not lose Robert Pattinson for a sec, because like I've said on and off air, I think the man is great. He's done great roles. He's one of my favorite actors working today, real talk, you know? So it's, it's a shame to see him at such limits and to call him the Nolan of the movie and like the suits and speaking in such, I don't know, cryptic dialogue was like very, I just wanted more from him because I know he can do better. You know what I mean? What's so astounding about Pattinson's performance though, to me is I remember before this movie came out, he was doing press for it. And he, in an interview said, yeah, there were days I showed up to set not understanding what was even being filmed. And the fact that he can show up to set with the lines in his mind, not knowing what he's doing and still give a generally good performance. Oh yeah. volumes to his acting ability. Absolutely. It shows just how limited Nolan's view really was of this movie like I just feel like Nolan got bogged down by the plot of this movie and that is a trope that we discussed over and over again and is carried throughout the years Dunkirk aside because that movie was just about getting from point a to point b it was looking at his later movies yeah that is my gripe with them. That is why Interstellar is not one of my favorites and Dark Knight Rises is my least favorite because the plot just pulls them all down and the character right. is sucked up in that void. But you know what? He made it work for, and he made what exactly what you're saying, he made work for Inception, which I think he's become obsessed with this idea of repeating Inception's success in terms of doing a, a crazy plot where characters are caught up in the plot, but at the end, you feel for them all because he's he and his brother spent eight years workshopping the script. So they they knew that they had something big going where studios are like they want movies pumped out every two years. But maybe or, that's so. where he went wrong with this one. He didn't involve his brother. Nolan himself has the he's the only writer of this movie. And I feel like his brother, who's doing Westworld, mm-hmm. could have helped kind of close the gap and bring maybe a heart moving like uh, I, I just felt like there was no character well it's funny because this movie and i felt it right again those first 20 minutes where i'm like shaking my head i'm like dude like how are we jumping this much into a story already and what happened is is i felt like this very watching the whole movie is that this whole movie felt like scrapped plot points for inception that he picked up off the cutting room floor and was like no wait there's a whole story here and so where what felt like a dream sequence like that whole ending with the raid in the i don't even know where that was with the desert and the giant set pieces exploding in reverse like that was incredible and again i'll but but we want to say the dark knight rises right there because it's (laughs) it it was literally troops going to war but it felt less concise than the dark knight rises somehow because i didn't know what the fuck was going on well by that point uh, so here's the thing a lot of people are confused by the whole it's understandably so like it's a literally a blink and you'll miss it kind of movie where it's like if you don't pay attention for a beat of the story you'll, you'll get you'll get lost and so my whole thing is like i didn't find the the movie confusing in terms of a whole like i knew like okay that kenneth Branagh was gonna building an artifact and uh, he can, he can invert time and 
So it's kind of them chasing him. It became a James Bond movie. It became an Indiana Jones movie. It became a, a Mission Impossible movie. So like, and that, and as a blockbuster, I appreciate it. And that I'll save more on that for final thoughts. But by the time they get to that desert sequence, I was so mesmerized by the set pieces. And yet, like, I'm, I'm thinking, why does Kenneth Branagh to kill himself why is he gonna how is he gonna end the world with this artifact are they gonna blow it up he kills himself in this moment where he's happy with his wife for this small moment and all of a sudden it's not i'm not saying what's going on in the plot i'm saying what is happening in these specific moments that's motivating these characters why am are any of these characters invested in what they're invested in why should i care that they're in this thick plot and to your point let we can extend this into the set pieces now the set pieces were phenomenal the incredible act, like nolan knows how to direct action like no one else i will give him credit where credit is due the action in this movie was astounding yeah but it was so confusing as to what was happening you know like <laughs> even the airplane the airport heist what was the purpose it was it useless we, it was national treasure that you it, did it as a distraction to get a art piece and the, an thinking... art piece that they didn't actually even get which is so you was, spend twenty minutes this plot building. I'm so sorry to cut you off. I'm just I'm, I'm getting excited. No, this you're saying like, exactly what I was about to say. Because it's it, I'm literally watching. They're like, all right, we gotta get the art piece. We're gonna do this. How we have ten seconds? I'm going. This is fucking national treasure. And then they crash the plane. And then they, when he reveals, he's like, no, wait, I actually have the painting. I'm like, dude, this is all in vain. This is all. I get it. You're throwing the characters off, and characters being thrown off, and having a ruse is part of a good spy espionage kind of movie. But like giant set pieces for what there's the no motive. point in my opinion of that sequence was solely so you can go backwards later on and show that like david washington's protagonist fought himself in i the will past. say that was probably my favorite part of the movie i saw it coming the moment that they were fighting and that so, person didn't take off his helmet well, no, I, I knew it was going to be him when Pattinson, I think we're talking about the same moment, when Pattinson yeah. removed the helmet and he looked and he had that moment on his face and yeah. all of a sudden he was like, oh, the other one got away. And I'm like, oh, that's clearly one of them. That's clearly yeah, going to be one of them. The moment that happened, I was like, that it, it's so obvious. It's not even like, it's not even, uh, it's not even a twist. It, <laughs> it wasn't be, a twist. <laughs> it would be a good ruse for someone who doesn't, maybe doesn't watch enough movies to pick up on tropes, but for the common moviegoer, it's like if you're paying, if, if they're demanding you pay that close attention, you kind of can't not but see it coming. I think therein lies my problem with the movie entirely. This movie, uh, let's go back to the first like 20 minutes of the movie, okay? Sure. There is one line in this movie that um, it was the scientist woman. I, I I don't remember the character's name, but uh, the the Indian woman. The no, no, the French woman. Uh, oh, oh, Florida Fleur, Fleur, Fleur de la Cour. Yeah, it was funny to see like two of the three Triwizard, uh, two of the four Triwizard tournament champions in there too. Oh yeah, um, I didn't even think about that. So good. But uh, she said in when she was showing uh, Washington the bullet, she's like, none of this is gonna make sense, so don't even try. To me, that is kind of like the basis of this movie. But on the flip side, Nolan is telling you at the same time, like, pay like, pay deep attention to this movie, but don't pay attention at all. But don't pay attention at all. Uh, that was, a, you know what, that's, by the time they got to the big sand desert uh, climax, that was my thought. I go, you know what? Kenneth Branagh is going to try and kill himself and he's going to try and end the world with him like a big cartoonish villain. I don't give a shit what happens because like I clearly can't, I'm really not supposed to know or care about the mechanics. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, we can, the only thing I will say again is that the set pieces were, the action was so really I, well done. My only regret with this movie and I knew I would feel it and it's very, for me it's, it's full circle because my only regret watching this is that I actually did not see it on an IMAX screen. Despite my negative feelings about it, I wish I'd seen it on a big screen because, and this is where I get Nolan's frustration, although he shouldn't have said what he said for, about the HBO thing. But yeah. like, I that moment where, because I know Nolan doesn't much CGI, we talked about that extensively on our show, that he does a lot with his, his hardcore productions, right? So his production value. So the moment... And it, it, I had a couple of these moments, but the one that really hit me was in the desert when that giant building 
was ex exploded in reverse. I literally said out loud, like I was like, I just said out loud. I said, I've never seen anything like this in a movie before. And like, literally you're just rewinding it, whatever. But like the, I felt that weight of like a, of a being in, in, engrossed by a blockbuster where I said, I don't really care. It's my feeling in the mission impossible movies. I said, yeah. I don't really care about what's happening with the plot. Cause I'm so in awe of what's happening in front of me. And I felt but that in way with this that sequence. regard, it's, it makes me more frustrated with Nolan because his movies, in my opinion, you know, you look at the prestige, you look at Batman Begins, you look at the Dark Knight. They were amazing on the big screen. I mean, I didn't see two of the three that I just mentioned on the big screen. Sure. But you could watch any of those at home and still get an emotional impact. Oh, where yeah. This movie, it would have been great on the big screen, but that's because it is purely a spectacle. There's 100%. nothing in it but spectacle. And there's only so much I can take. You know, you are, Nolan, I I just feel like you are above the Fast and Furious franchise in what uh -huh. you do and what you attempt to do. This movie technically is better than the Fast and Furious franchise. But when you get down to it, they're 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 completely comparable. They're in the right. same fucking camp. They're, right, right. Because, because you were using the IMAX screen as your like crutch, you, you know, your crutch to make sure people love this movie. Mm -hmm. Watching it at home, I should be able to feel this not necessarily the same way because you know nothing beats the theater experience. But you of should course. be able to like watch this at home and at least feel Connect. like yeah, feel connected to the movie. And I didn't. You're using IMAX and you're using the big screen as a crutch, not this, as a yeah. not as a medium to show your movie. This you know, is the yeah. You can it, kind of get my difference. This is the kind of the equivalent. This maybe this may be a bad comparison, but it's like this is kind of like going on Dakar or one of the world's whatever tallest, fastest roller coasters, raving about it to your friends. And they're like, oh, I, I what's that like? And then you show them a YouTube video of it. And they're like, oh, I can imagine if I was there, I would feel this experience. I feel the adrenaline rush, but like, wow, it seems so cool because it, watching at home isn't the same thing. And I don't know what the counteract comparison would be to something that you can take home from a theme park and enjoy whatever but my point is is like this whole movie felt like a ride and I was like this was great I I love the experience but like you can't emulate this feeling I may have had there in person that I, when it's over I'm kind of like all right I could do it again but like it's really just for the rush there's nothing else than for that excitement you know yeah, but personally, I mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but personally, the rush didn't take over for me because I was just so bogged down by, I don't care about what's happening. Sure. I don't care about the characters. And at the end of the day, like we just mentioned, some of the set pieces felt useless entirely. So oh, like, man. Sure, it's cool. You're like this army's going in to take down whatever they're doing but at the end of the day i'm like i don't care you know when yeah. robert Pattinson is revealed to have died it's like who cares <laughs> yeah i that i actually almost had to rewind it because i'm like what is this little i'm like oh they're focusing on this little pendant he has on his bag and i almost had to like stop and like re reflect on this moment where the character excuse me where there's that the the dead character with that same pendant and i'm kind of like all right like you want me to like have my mind blown and like the twists can't even like have the same kind of impact as something like inception because like there's too much going on it's almost like nolan got too smart for his own good in terms of trying to make dialogue and exposition like we were saying earlier, exposition that's like so in your face and so fast it's kind of like how am i supposed to really genuinely care about this it felt like a mini series crammed into two and a half hours he didn't even care about the i feel like this movie was him just like experimenting uh-huh yeah, uh, kind of yeah. kind of like we said about the dark knight rises it was him just testing grounds of what he could possibly do because you mentioned the dialogue this was a big uh story when it when the movie first came out some of the dialogue you can't even hear over the action i had so i had to watch it with subtitles action in this movie comes before character and you know that because you can't hear a goddamn word some of the characters are saying in the big set pieces and nolan's like yeah that was intentional 
and it's like why yeah why? like i mean there were literally moments where they had the masks on and they're in whether whether they're in in the the cars or they're in the boats or whatever or and and they're showing each other behind the masks and it's like muffled and it says the dialogue on the bottom of the screen i'm like how can there were literal lines where there's giant noises there's enormous sounds over the dialogue and i'm going how could anyone understand what they're saying if they didn't have subtitles on that's the only reason I think I was able to enjoy it as much as I did because I was able to catch every word. I felt like I was watching a foreign film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will just, the, I guess we're talking in circles a little bit. So oh, my, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's jump into I'll, I'll just say, uh, I, I just want to mention one more thing. And that is, uh, I will say one great thing about this movie is the score. Oh I've listened God. to it again. Uh, Ludwig Johansson did it. Was, he's do as he does the music for The Mandalorian, Black Panther. Um, um, he's an up and cut. He's like a superstar right now. It's, he's it's, he's the guy yeah. you want to work. Anyone wants to work with. He's the I, new like every generation has their uh, big composer. It was John Williams, then well, Hans yeah. Zimmer. Now it's this guy. This guy's taken over. Yeah, you should. We should definitely be on the lookout for this guy as he continues to do well, stuff. He already won an Oscar. So for what? For Black Panther. He won the Oscar for that? Yeah, the music. Wow. So he, uh, he's already here. It's just this guy is exploding. And his way of creating music is so, I don't know, fresh is probably um, the best word. There was a moment because there were there were a couple like a um, couple loud sound effects and bombs that reminded me of Inception. And I'm sure that Nolan worked with this guy and said like, hey, I, I want it to sound like bombs. this. <laughs> a couple bombs. And I'm sure that that Nolan sat down with this guy and was like, listen, I've worked with Hans and I want a sound similar to his. I'm sure Nolan had some kind of say. But when the score had kind of um, went on its own two feet, there was a moment in the third act. I'd have to actually go back and find it. I could even probably go and find the track of what it is but in the third act there's this moment where i think they're getting ready for the big mission and the score kind of takes over in a way that like it has a character of its own where it reminded me of Hans zimmer's work where like the notes change and i felt like the music was moving me in the same way that i had been moved by scores in the past and like i was like oh this is good like you're building the anticipation i'm really getting ready i'm getting psyched for this moment that i'm about to not actually be invested in because the score is actually doing its job um, and I come, I wholeheartedly agree that that it was when it was good, it was really noticeable. Yeah. What's fascinating is Hans Zimmer was not able to do the score for this movie because he was already, uh, working on the score for Dune. That's why, okay. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why Nolan had to look elsewhere. Ironic. And WB, another WB. it's ironic because Hans Zimmer definitely could have done the score for this and for Dune. Oh, had, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Hans Zimmer also did the score for Wonder Woman, uh, 1984, which the score was not my problem with that movie. Not but my we'll problem talk. with that. We'll more about that. Uh, but that's our, a different conversation. A future conversation. <laughs> Although I will say it was, this is a small gripe. I won't harbor on it, but Wonder Woman, 1984. Why no 80s music? Like, what? what what's why with that? no 80s anything? I had to keep reminding myself it took place in the 80s. We're not going to. I'll save that for another again it, it's not this isn't supposed to be a wonder woman <laughs> thing but it's like one 80s tune would have been nice in the movie just one like just, just one. where's just play safety dance just like, do something just yeah. give me patty jenkins please next time just like watch guardians of the galaxy you and yeah, learn on. how to integrate a soundtrack you have the money just fucking play the, me the 80s tunes that i love make make me believe i'm in the 80s god damn it it's not yeah, that hard like you know during that opening mall sequence how great would it have been to have like a nice hip to be Any, square plan or something or safety dance like you what said we got god damn ah oh, anyway uh, we'll talk we about that in another episode that. I think that's a great spot to uh, get into our final, well, not final. Well, this is all. I feel like the whole thing has been final thoughts. Let's (laughs) just end with, I I don't have my list in front of me, uh, but whereabouts do you think that this movie would fall within your rankings? of? Oh, I was going to ask you that question. I feel like that's a really cursed kind of question. Hold on one second. Let me pull up my, my ranking from my list for the ending like i have number my number 10 was following uh like we said you know first director's work and my number nine was like dark knight rises um so here's where uh, all right to answer your question so you asked me where would it fall in your ranking i think it would fall 
somewhere between Dark Knight Rises and whatever is before or after it, whatever would come before or after it for me. So like if, if, if Dark Knight Rises is number nine, this would either be number eight or it'd be like number 10. So <laughs> I don't know, man, because no, it's I like- I tend to agree. I feel like this movie falls somewhere in the bottom for me too. Uh, Dark Knight Rises was my least favorite and I think following was uh, just above it. I feel like Tenet maybe would go above following simply because it just feels like a technological or innovative feat, but it's really not that much higher than, than following. What I will say, because I, I feel like the Dark Knight Rises, as we said, we're, we're not going to die back in it, but I feel like Dark Knight Rises gets a bum rap until the third act and then you can throw it to the wolves and whatever. But I do feel like I, maybe it's just a buzz that I have after watching Tenet is that I feel like I had way more fun with Tenet. Like not Dark, Dark Knight Rises isn't supposed to be a fun movie. So maybe it's not. Well, that's neither. why I'm putting it above the Dark Knight Rises. I think I, I think would say. Overall, it's more fun the dark, than the Dark Knight Rises. And even if I'm watching Tenet confused, <laughs> it's, it's still, still so entertaining. It's still better than watching Batman try and get rid of an atomic bomb. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Because like, it's like I don't cringe at the end of Dark Knight Rises, but I shake my head thinking like, what could have been, and like, it literally could have been anything else. And so with Tenet, it's kind of like you right within the tw- first twenty minutes, I'm going, all right, you want me to be confused, and like you had had perfectly said you know the characters literally say like try not to what is it try not to or try not to don't don't think about it too hard or something like that it's not going to make sense right and so if you watch tenant and try not to think about it too hard as long as you can kind of follow where the characters are going the highway sequence with the reversed car chase was wild you know um the scene where they re-raid the airport and they're fighting uh Washington's fighting himself in reverse like it's fun you know what I mean and like the giant set pieces at the end are spectacular so it's almost like the more I think about Kenneth Branagh and the wife subplots the more I'm like "Eh, I don't really buy into like really any of this movie but like I had a great time watching it and so it's kind of like I can't be mad ultimately because I can't say the same thing about Dark Knight Rises like I said I've said it on the pod on the podcast when Bruce leaves the hole then goes back to Gotham, Gotham. The whole movie changes. Um, I mean, for me, it dies before that. But right, 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 uh, right. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. The Dark Knight Rises was just way too much tuna fish. This is different. <laughs> this is like way too much tuna in a oh, different way. I have a shirt that says that's entirely too much tuna. I meant to wear it for the, this morning, but I like. Yeah, the, I mean, again, this movie is a lot of tuna, but it's like, I, I, at least I can watch it (laughs) yeah so i think uh this is a good place to generally you know end this conversation are we doing a pick of the week man i didn't even think about a pick of the week let's go with you have something i'm just gonna go with a nolan movie shoot the breeze i was thinking the same yeah that's fair uh, just in you know just let's go back in time and look at i'm gonna say inception because Inception to me felt like a version of Tenant that was executed well, good characters, interesting story that, you know, people can debate whether it makes sense or not, but at the end of the day, it makes more sense than Tenant. That's that's my pick. Um, for my pick, I'll go with following. Huh. I went with, uh, my yes, my, my, my bottom one pick um, on the Nolan show uh, i think steve and i were both in agreement that we recommended insomnia because it is the dark horse of his resume and the more i think about that movie the more i really love it i feel like tenant is just a very expensive and remake it's like a remake of following just on a grander scale because in I, what I, sense? I don't know i feel like bad guy good guy Robert Pattinson's bad guy. character is identical to what's his face the guy with the rubber gloves i can't even remember his name but al pacino no in following oh wait. oh wait. i'm sorry you're talking about following i'm talking about following oh, oh 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 sorry yes very covid friendly by the way tenant with COVID the masks 
Um, no, <laughs> literally yeah. walking around with oxygen masks. No, you're right. And it's funny because I don't, we, we talked all about following. So I don't have to, I mean, I, I have thoughts about it, but it's also, it's funny because even that movie, there's one character explaining the rules to another character. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like Robert Pattinson's character is the rubber glove guy's, guy. Is the rubber glove guy's like cousin or something. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I was just going to say, oh, well, you know, following where it all began, I can assume no one saw it. But when you actually think, put it that way, it really is just a small snippet of what he was going to do with bigger budgets. Yeah, the only difference <laughs> is that the protagonist of following took the hit where David Washington's character protagonist was technically the guy behind it all in this movie. Yeah. So but I, really, what have we learned that Nolan just loves doing these intricate plots Yeah, one or two characters who are explaining exposition to one another? Nolan is just, <laughs> I'm very curious to see where his next movie lies because after his comments to Warner Brothers, I don't know if it will be at Warner Brothers. I, I feel don't. like he's going to have to move. I'm hearing rumors he's talking to Universal. He's, yeah, he'd probably have to make a big apology. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. But, you know, what's nice is that time is inverted. We're recording this um, before his next movie. So we'll have to see and see where the future, uh, where the future lies. Or maybe it's already happened and we have to experience everything. I don't I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, welcome to whose filmography is it anyway? Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. With Wait, the, we're with in your host. Sorry, we're going forward in time, not back. With your co-host. <laughs> sorry, we're going back in time. Uh, so this <laughs> is a good great. place to end. I agree. I agree. The episode, as always, you can follow me on Instagram and at Letterbox at who, at Mr. Filmart. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at whose filmography. And Josh, where can the good people find you? You can find me on Letterboxd uh, under Beesh. So that's it. And otherwise, follow the show on Instagram, like Steven said. And, yes. You know, and great. just remember, everyone, you could dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. But if you don't dance, but if you don't dance and your friends don't dance, then they're no friends of mine. So glad we did the safety dance today. But do, again. Do, 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 do. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>